Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What? Today we've got Omri Bouton on and he is a Web3 lawyer. Hi Omri. Hi, thank you for having me guys. Absolute pleasure, mate. We're looking forward to this chat. We've had a few people on in a similar space. Um, Web3 is an incredibly exciting sort of, I don't know what you call it, revolutionized technology um, that's going to impact a lot of different people. So it's really interesting to get people's point of view, uh, especially someone who's focusing on on the law all around it. So do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do, Omri? Uh, sure. I work as a, I'm an associate, so I work as a lawyer at Sheridan, which is a firm in London. Uh, specialized in media entertainment, uh, you know, that includes also sports, video games, and uh, we have a growing Web3 practice that is focused around uh, cryptographic assets, um, you know, including NFTs, uh, play to earn, and we assist clients also with the setup of, you know, DAOs and other structures, um, you know, revolving around uh, products and services which are Web3 based. Wow. So let's let's go back a bit. How did you get into law? Why law? Yeah. So uh, straight out of uni, you know, I studied the first degree that I, I studied first some music production effectively. And um, as you can tell by my accent, I'm, uh, <laughs> I come from Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. So I came here in the UK to complete the first degree in music production. And right out of the gate, I opened a small you know, production studio a music production studio and you know sound engineering uh, together with um, with a couple of friends of mine or the course mates of mine so you know as an audio engineer we're recording bands we're producing you know some music uh, some of us also were involved in sound design which means producing music you know or sound effects uh, to synchronize with you know ads and other form of video content <clears throat> so that's really what we did and um Whilst running the studio, which you know, admittedly wasn't a crazy success or anything like that, I became very much interested in intellectual property and understanding you know, copyright. And I still remember reading the phrase in relation to copyright that you know, copyright doesn't protect ideas, but the expression of an idea. And I remember just you know, being quite confused at the time about this statement. So that really led me to searching more and more intellectual property to the point where I decided to take on you know the more formal part of the of, if you want the music industry or the creative industries and uh, study to become a lawyer an ip lawyer <clears throat> so that was the first step and uh, so i you know i went to law school uh, got a, a degree a law degree and uh, following the law degree i started to become very interested in uh, while studying for the for the llb which is the undergrad I became really interested and fascinated with uh, video games. I've always video game law, so IP mm-hmm. relating to interactive entertainment. I've always been a massive, you know, an avid gamer, <clears throat> and um, that really led me to decide to study a master's course at Queen Mary that is specialized around video games. So, from music to you know an interest in IP, from interest in IP, you know broadly to IP in the interactive entertainment and tech space, if you want. Wow. So so how and, difficult uh-huh. was it for you to go from finishing your degree in uh, in audio engineering to then going and starting your own studio and then going back to university? Did you find that difficult at all? Yeah. It was quite difficult also because, I mean, I, I was young at the time, let's say, like, you know, looking back, I was young, but I felt that I was, you know, behind the curve because, of course, deciding study again that took time and i decided to to start studying law when i was uh, 24 so <clears throat> i felt quite old 
I realized later on that, you know, uh, it's not unusual for people following, you know, obtaining the law degree work to work as paralegal for, for a few years. So I'm not older than the average uh, person that, you know, is, works as a lawyer in, <clears throat> at my level of seniority. But at the time, you know, I felt that um, it was a bit stressful. Also, I was studying law in a language that wasn't mine. And um, there was quite a difference, you know, studying for a creative centric degree, like, for example, you know, music production, which was very much involved in also practical assignment and, you know, a formal law degree. Mm. But the challenge kind of helped me, you know, putting the head down, focusing on studying. I've never really been an academic type. And um, I remember, you know, starting to really enjoy uh, learning about the law, learning about um, the framework in which, you know, creatives can operate and how, how important really business structure becomes to the success of a creating endeavor. So, which is often neglected, right? Because if you look, mm-hmm. if you look at the creative industries and creatives in particular, uh, they tend to have very little interest to the formalities um, revolving around their industry. And I think if you look at successful creative across the ages, you know, from Michael Jackson, David Bowie, and uh, let's say in the music industry, you will learn, you will see and, and appreciate that these people were incredible business, uh, you know, persons um, as opposed to just incredible creatives. So. Um, but, you know, going, going back to the story, so yeah, it was quite challenging. And during my time at Queen Mary, you know, studying this particular uh, master degree, um, I came across segmented reality. This was 2016, 2017. And at the time, there was very little, you know, around augmented reality, particularly, you know, in, in relation to the law. And I, you know, since discovering it uh, and, you know, mixed reality, I became obsessed with it. Um, to me, you know, since then, that's that was clearly the future. <clears throat> there are some, you know, there were some, and there are still, to an extent, some limitations around the technology that is available to us, uh, especially from a hardware point of view. Software is very sophisticated now, but uh, I decided basically I, I wanted to work in augmented reality in this immersive space. <clears throat> the problem that I saw with the immersive space is that. If we can appreciate digital information in the form, say, of a hologram or, you know, through different forms of uh, stimulation, you know, to our senses. So, you know, again, either a hologram, if it's a visual uh, stimuli or, you know, smell and all of that. So an augmentation of the senses. If we can experience digital information in that manner, I think that the obstacle for digital information to feel real then becomes uniqueness. Because, you know, if we have two T-shirts that are exactly the same, uh, but you ruin your T-shirt, my T-shirt remains intact, correct? Uh, and you cannot just copy and paste the T-shirts. If there are two T-shirts, those are the two T-shirts that exist that are the same. So I became very interested in how digital information could be rendered unique. How can you have unique digital information? Because if you look at the music industry, for example, the fact that you could copy and paste and peer-to-peer transfer you know, songs destroyed the perceived value Mm. music in music work so this this became kind of the focus for me you know understanding how can you render digital information scarce because that will have a direct correlation of the value of digital information or at least the perceived value um and that led me to distributed ledger technology and you know blockchain being an example of that i was gonna say it's quite so, interesting isn't it when you first talk to somebody about the whole world of web3 and nfts and mm-hmm. blockchain they, one of their first questions is, what do you mean that's just a JPEG? Like, that's just an image. How is yeah. there any value? And, and what you've just explained is 
that is, there is innate value in something that cannot be replicated exactly Correct. like exactly right yeah absolutely and you know uh, we'll get to that i guess as part of this conversation when we look at what really is an nft <clears throat> but um in relation to blockchain or distributed ledger technology because of the structure of the database because you know if you look at what blockchain is it's really a form of database right so but it's distributed and it presents certain advantages so the fact that you cannot replicate digital information gives value to that information and that was really the breakthrough point for me as a lawyer you know deciding to combine my interest uh, in uh, if you want commercial and ip together with you know deep industry understanding which i didn't have at the time so around the time you know I, I finished my master and i started looking around at you know who covered what practice covered and what law firm covered really blockchain and there wasn't really much but to my surprise one jurisdiction that did cover blockchain was gibraltar and uh, gibraltar is a, you know you know it, I don't want to say an overseas British territory because it enjoys more independence, so it's not completely reliant on, you know, <clears throat> on England and Wales <clears throat> and the UK. But it's a it's an overseas, that's a British territory at the southern tip of Spain, and uh, the legal framework is very similar. So much so that if you qualify as a solicitor in Gibraltar, you also qualify uh, under England and Wales. <clears throat> so, seeing that that was the case. And that I could qualify potentially for a training contract, I decided to apply at the time, you know, for a, a vacation scheme, which effectively is, you know, it's a summer experience, summer internship in a law firm called the Sands in Gibraltar, and it's uh, the largest law firm. And uh, and I got and I got yeah, I got the summer experience. And during my time there, I met a partner that is still a very you know close friend of mine and a mentor, I guess, for life. His name is Anthony Provasoli, he's a tier one fintech lawyer, and he was really starting to build this practice, this fintech or financial technology practice. And the reason he did that is because Gibraltar uh, decided to regulate the use of blockchain in par with other financial services in 2018. So following the summer experience, I managed to get a training contract for the, you know, for the next year following the, the uh, LPC, which is the legal practice course every solicitor needs to do it in order to be able to qualify. <clears throat> and uh, so I moved to Gibraltar from the UK. I just, uh, you know, took everything and moved there uh, with a view potentially to stay there. You know, I moved there with uh, my wife and uh, to build a life there. And I spent about two and a half years uh, in Gibraltar working at the Suns, you know, under Anthony and with the ex-colleague of mine called uh, Roy Balestrino and I work, he now works at Bitso. <clears throat> And during this time, really, we have been working predominantly as a you know commercial and financial services lawyer because, um, as mentioned, you know blockchain technology was the use of blockchain technology uh, is regulated in Gibraltar in part with other financial services, and that really gave me an opportunity to to work as part of this team with some you know world leading exchanges. I'm not sure which names I can say or not, so I'll refrain from you know name yeah, dropping, sure. but. Um, Suffice to say that many exchanges that are based in the UK and even around the world came to Gibraltar to seek the license because the license would prove both to you know investors and and consumers that you know the company in question is a serious company because it's not easy to get the license. It's a very long and expensive and difficult process to go through. But at the end of it, you know, companies really mature and are able to 
mitigate the risks that come, you know, when using blockchain. So that's really where I developed, if you want, my you know, understanding of blockchain, cryptographic asset, financial services regulation, including anti-money laundering, um, you know, which is kind of inherent to financial services. <clears throat> and that's that's you know where the bulk of my experience come from. And wow. uh, yeah, and, and that, that's quite a Quite a, quite a journey, isn't it? From um, from you know doing your yeah. first screen audio engineering and having a passion for gaming to, to to taking all that on. I mean, that's you know you said you're not academic, which is nice to hear somebody who's a lawyer saying you know look I'm not academic, but look what I've achieved. I, I think that's a really great point. Yeah, I think the secret. I mean, it's not really a secret, and I'm going to sound so cheesy, but you know I've always let my curiosity drive me. I've never mm-hmm. felt uh, guilty, you know, taking decision based on my curiosity, even if sometimes, uh, you know, it, it may lead, especially when it comes to hobbies, less on the professional side. But, you know, uh, I tend to be quite inconsistent uh, in my hobbies and I don't see a problem with that because mm. it allows me to explore a lot of different, you know, subcultures, which I think actually plays a key part of why, uh, A, I love so much the NFT space because NFTs really are, are distributed subcultures. <clears throat> and, um, and then B, you know, why I resonate with uh, with um, people that operate in this industry. So to close the loop, you know, when I was in Gibraltar, then my wife and I decided to um, to to move back to the UK. Uh, you know, I've had a, an amazing experience in Gibraltar, but <clears throat> I missed subculture, to be honest. And that's what, you know, uh, you can really find in places like London, you know. Mm. Yeah, you could be into any form of... Uh, you could have any form of interest and there are going to be, you know, groups of people that are into the same kind of niche that, that you're in and you can explore it with them and all of that. So, <clears throat> so we decided to relocate and that's when I joined the Sheridans. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to join more as an IP and commercial lawyer with a nice to have crypto, you know, uh, understanding or like a strong experience. And then from the first day I joined, you know, someone mentioned, um, oh, you, you know, I remember being asked a question, you, you know about crypto, right? Like, yeah, that's basically all I've done. So they put me on a call in front of a potential client and ever since that's all I've done. So I've, I've been working exclusively on um, NFT projects, especially, you know, being in a law firm that specializes in media and entertainment, there is a lot of talent coming from the more traditional creative industries like music, film and TV, uh, sports, esports, uh, video games. Uh, theater, you know, and, and so on that want to get into Web3. So those are part of the clients that I, I dealt with, especially early on. And um, now I would say that we, you know, we also have a very strong client base in uh, uh, crypto native talent, that being, you know, NFT artists or being, uh, you know, people that are involved at all level of the industry, uh, some financial services provider they use blockchain uh, play to earn we're dealing with a lot of play to earn <clears throat> providers and developers and we help you know uh, assessing effectively the regulatory risk which you know and that encompasses for example managing ip on blockchain and distributed databases um like ipfs and then it, it revolves around financial services risk you know securities you might have heard you know th- there is potentially a risk for certain ta- certain uh, tokens to fall under the, the scope of financial services regulation mm-hmm. anti-money laundering uh, gambling is also something that needs to be assessed so you know it's it's a technological convergence and as technology and industries converge 
so do areas of law and regulation. So it's important to cover all of these. And then we also help with the setting up of DAOs um, and uh, to the extent that's possible, uh, you know, just general business structuring, uh, SAFT, which is, you know, simple agreement for future allocation of tokens and equity. Those tend to be all, you know, core aspects of the Web3 industry. And um, it's great to be, you know, to be able to, to work in this space and, uh, you know, really at all levels. Mm, I think it's really interesting going back to one of those points you mentioned earlier where you were brought in for maybe a slightly different reason and the crypto knowledge was a nice to have I think you're the third lawyer to tell us that exact same thing yeah. uh, you know this you practices are now starting to clock on to the fact that oh actually this is a real asset to have and it's a whole different department to itself which brings me on to the question if people are thinking about going and studying law now there's yeah. so many different technologies and things like NFT and blockchain that are changing the world. Would you say to any young person <laughs> going to study law, look, get into one of these, you know, breakaway, like whether it be fintech, insurtech, blockchain, whatever it be, specialize in that. And the opportunity there is vast because we're just at the beginning of trying mm -hmm. to regulate these spaces. So I, I think that, you know, like to answer why probably other people were in my same position is because there wasn't really an industry up until now in the UK, you know, that revolving around, especially NFTs and from legal perspective. And, um, you know, I was very lucky being able to go to Gibraltar and develop such a strong understanding because it's one of the main markets there right now. So, you know, I was able to work for almost three years purely in this space when in the UK, there was nothing like that. So, um, and I, I think that's, of course, that's, um, that was great, but also, I guess that an important part of why, um, let's say, I've been successful to an extent in this endeavor, like, you know, in terms of why the firm decided to give me more and more opportunities to develop this part, uh, together with the partner I work with, <clears throat> is also because, to me, this is what I'm passionate about. So, I work as a, during the day as a lawyer in NFTs, and during the evening, <clears throat> nights, you know, in my spare time, this is also my community. This is where I spend my time. <clears throat> this is what I talk about. This is what I'm interested in. So, I mean, you know, there could be an argument for uh, students to perhaps specialize in a, you know, in an upcoming area. Uh, but to me, you can't really, uh, you can't make up you know, passion simply because of say commercial interest or interesting career. I think, you know, I, I would give that advice certainly to every person that is interested in the technology, in the use of technology. But if that's not the case and say you're passionate, I don't know, about real estate say, or corporate or, you know, everyone is different, then I would rather suggest you go into that space because no one is going to be able to compete with you or very few are going to be able to compete with you if you not only practice in an area, but also you're passionate about that area. Say if you're someone that enjoys, you know, investing in the stock market, then you could look at financial services, for example. You know, your level of understanding is going to be far beyond what you'd get simply by working as a lawyer in the space, because you're going to be refining it all the time. No, that's, that's uh, understandable. What do you think are some um, critical personality traits of yourself that have allowed you to uh, thrive or be able to develop within this crypto um, law world? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say curiosity probably plays them, you know, it's the most important one. Um, I've always been very, very, you know, interested in technology, uh, culture, art. So that's curiosity, I would say, is definitely very important. Coming from a non-traditional background as well, 
So the fact that, you know, um, I opened a kind of, a, I was behind a commercial effort with these friends of mine in the form of a studio before joining law, um, not being very formal as well. I mean, I'm formal to the extent that, you know, you need to be as a lawyer, but um, having had experiences before becoming a lawyer, I would say, different experience to, you know, the law itself, uh, that was really useful. And I think, you know, a lot of uh, law grads end up doing paralegal work whilst waiting for the training contract, for example. I think if you secure a training contract and, and you know, normally that is secured two years in advance, then I would actually encourage, you know, um, future trainees to take those two years and try to seek experiences in different roles and capacities, because then they're going to be able to incorporate that experience in, you know, their provision of legal services. And you can notice that you can notice, you know, a mix of background, a mix of interests. So also I think, you know, never, never being afraid of injecting as much personality as possible in, in um, your conversation with the clients, potentially also, you know, commenting on the product. That's also a big part of what, what I do, for example, in day to day. Uh, I also, I'm asked to work as a consultant somehow, uh, some, sometimes, you know, some matters uh, because my, I'm interested in the market, you know, beyond just the legal side. So I'd say, yeah, letting as much of your personality uh, as possible, you know, of course, maintaining a level of formality and uh, being professional at all time. But I think, you know, having been um, confident in doing that, I think that's probably one of the main points, yeah. And what do you think are two real key skills somebody needs to be working in what you're doing right now? <clears throat> uh, well, definitely problem solving. Uh, well, I don't know. Two is very restrictive. <laughs> I yeah, think, you can have more uh, or less. It's, it's up okay. to you. <laughs> okay. So, for example, so one important aspect, I think, and I think lawyers at the beginning especially shy a little bit away from it, is understanding that not everything is black or white. You know, some things are. But others, you know, as a lawyer, you really need to understand, especially operating in new areas of law and regulation where there are regulation, but maybe there isn't as much guidance from the regulator. I think it's important to uh, be able to understand risk and, and you know, and learn how to deal with the risk and how to present different options to clients, uh, presenting also the different level of risk that is associated with each, with each option. So it's almost putting on the head of an entrepreneur Ultimately, you know, it's not for us lawyer to take decision on behalf of the client, but we can assist them by providing information and, you know, different options. So that's one. Uh, second, of course, you know, being curious and uh, wanting to go beyond. So, you know, since uh, Elon Musk broke it down in this way, it's just easy to refer to that in that manner. But, you know, reasoning from first principle. So breaking down everything, not take, not assuming, not assuming any per- uh, not taking anything for you know granted or uh, not operating by way of analogy, really breaking down everything down to the core. So to give an, an example of this, the term staking is often used to describe mechanisms you know that are relevant to NFTs and crypto, and you know many projects implement some form of staking. But if you look at it properly, you know staking can refer to multiple things in a proof of um, in a proof of stake network then staking would refer normally to uh, you know, the mechanisms whereby certain participants can become validators within the network. 
In other examples, for example, in proof of works in Ethereum right now is still the proof of work stage, although you know it should move to proof of stake at some point in the future. It normally refers just to some form of lockup mechanism with an incentive for people to do that, in the hope that that will have you know some price effect on on the assets that are um, locked away. So I mean maybe that's a bit technical, but I just wanted to offer you know a, an example of that. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. And, and then what for you has been probably the biggest positive you've personally taken out of working in this industry so far? The clients. It's the best thing ever. I absolutely love working with the client I work with. Uh, we share, you know, very similar interests. We definitely resonate. It's not always easy, but that's, I'd say that's the, the best part of, of working as a lawyer. <laughs> you know, you assist on multiple projects. So if you were to work, for example, as an in-house lawyer, which has its own perks, you are working with one company on one project or maybe a few projects, you know, that are offered by the company. But when you, where you, when you work as a, you know, as a lawyer in a law firm, in a law practice, you get new projects all the time. And, you know, some of the clients that I work with are visionaries and it's incredible to be able to, you know, become friends and, you know, start to exchange opinion about the industry and all of that. That would no, say is probably yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, what would be some of the um, the disadvantages of this uh, <laughs> industry that you found so far? In my capacity as a lawyer, <laughs> confidentiality, because I would love to be able to say you know what projects I work on, and probably most <laughs> clients would have no problem with that. Uh, but I take it very seriously, so I never really you know mention the project I work with. But then you see the news, and you see other lawyer posting about it, and you want you know to be, say. I'm a part of that. I'm the person behind it, you know, and uh, and um, to me, it's more, you know, uh, the client matters more than um, than my personal marketing in this case. So, mm. uh, I mean, it's not, it's not a massive negative, but I'd say that that's sometime, uh, you know, something that I would like to, to be more vocal <laughs> about. And then in your opinion, you know, all this NFT, Web3, the kind of uh, words that are being, you know, put around about it, you know, revolutionary, going to change a lot of things. What's yeah. the number one thing? And it's probably hard to nail it down, but that really excites you. You mentioned, you know, you love the mm-hmm. gaming aspect and gamification and NFT communities, but what's the number yeah. one thing about the space that makes you go, wow, this is really cool. The next five years. <laughs> and I would say that in five years time as well, it's, you know, what this technology allows. And uh, of course, for now, I'm still on this argumented reality journey. Uh, one thing that I need to mention also, Sheridan's deal a lot with argumented reality experiences mm-hmm. and the video game team. So to me, you know, something that is important to highlight is that NFTs are infrastructure. They're not, I, I invite people, you know, not to think about NFTs as products, services, or experiences, but they're rather an infrastructure and the blockchain particularly on which you build product, services, and experiences. So to me, the fact that you can have, you know, digital scarcity and uh, the fact that you'll be that will form a core part of you know immersive technology such as you know augmented reality that to me is the most exciting aspect of it right now mm. <clears throat> and uh, yeah that, i'd say that that's probably the thing that excites me most sure and what's something that's probably not in your job description but you still have to deal with admin as a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> Loads of admin. Yeah, actually, going back to the question of what's the negative, admin. <laughs> yeah, it's, unfortunately, everyone has to deal with that. And yeah, it's just a must. But <clears throat> yeah, it's the more, you know, admin yeah. part of, of, of the role. 
And uh, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? 100%. Mm, it sounds like you just genuinely have a passion for it. Like you said, go into something you have a passion for and you know it won't feel as much like work as it could do. Yeah, I mean, it, it still can feel, uh, you know, it can feel that we're, I think that there are different challenges. When you love something, for example, the way I, I do, and I mm. do generally love this space and my role, then you're dealing with other type of challenges, right? Because you feel you never do enough. I don't know how to explain it. It's you, you, and it's not really because of the growth. It's more, this is, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. I've, I've always strived to be at the forefront of a space. And I'm feeling that right now, together with other few colleagues, you know, um, not just the charities, but generally, you know, I am at that stage or I'm getting there. And, uh, you know, when that when you get to this stage, it's incredible. But at the same time, you always feel that maybe you're not pushing enough. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it's a first world problem, but, you know, it messes up with your head. So, mm. uh, and I just want to be completely honest. And I think that other people in my position, I know other people in my position feel the same. Mm. So... Mm well yeah. thank you so much for your time Omri. it's been a genuine pleasure to hear about how you've got to where you've got i think it's a, a really incredible journey and um wish you all the best of luck with your with your future projects thanks so much for having me on the podcast i really enjoyed the conversation if someone had any questions uh where could mm-hmm. they find you and also what would be some good communities they could find out more about what's going on with um uh, blockchain and and, yeah so i highly encourage um well it's a difficult one because it's almost of course, you have Discords and Twitter, I would say, is probably the most relevant one. Uh, I'd say I've never used Twitter, um, you know, in the past. And since, you know, becoming more involved in blockchain and NFTs, I've really started enjoying it. So I'd say um, go on Twitter and start uh, start searching for relevant accounts. You know, a quick Google search on like NFT influencers will open the door and then you go from there. <clears throat> Brilliant. Thanks again, Omri. Cheers.